0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Akron, Akron Campus. It, uh, it is really great to be back. I get a chance only a few times a year to come back and spend some time in worship with some folks I haven't seen in a while. Um, my name is Kevin Weigel, and I'm the site pastor up at the Medina Campus for One Church. And, and before I get started, just hello to those joining us online. Welcome, relax, and uh, enjoy the message with us. A couple of weeks ago, we started a, a new message series called the Red Letter Challenge. The name of the series is in reference to the Bibles that print the words of Christ in red ink. And as we've learned so far in the series, the first red-letter Bible was uh, printed in about 1901, and they're available in about every translation possible. And I have a red-letter Bible, and the red words that Jesus spoke are incredibly obvious when you read them. Now, we believe that all Scripture is inspired, and it's in the inspired Word of God. But the red letters not only make it easier to read what Jesus said, I do believe that Jesus' words are worthy of being emphasized and distinguished. So during this message series, uh, we're going to look at a total of five different themes that are found in these red letters that that compromise the red words. Each of these themes come with a challenge because Jesus' words consistently challenge the status quo of the day, and they continue to challenge us today. Pastor Rick kicked off the message series um, with... Let's get getting engaged with two words that Jesus often used follow me. Jesus challenged and invited all people to follow him, to surrender and follow him and last week we were challenged by the words of Jesus to share our faith with others, to be fishers of men. So this week we're going to talk about forgiveness. What Jesus had to say about forgiveness and how it fits into being fishers of men and following Christ. Now last week on Valentine's Day I gave this message um, up at the Medina campus. Now, for some people, that would be a heavy lift to talk about forgiveness on Valentine's Day, not me. I find Valentine's Day kind of confusing, actually. See, I don't need to set aside one day or one time of year to treat my wife special or or to be romantic. Candles and smooth jazz and chocolate-covered strawberries and petals of roses scattered throughout the house. We call that Wednesday in the Weigel House. See, I'm a romantic cat. I mean, the last 30 years of my wife's life have been like the last 15 minutes of every just sappy romantic comedy. The Notebook, Sleepless in Seattle, Jerry Maguire, all wrapped in the one blissful, continual marriage. Right, baby? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely none of this is true. In fact, my prayer last week at the 830 service was that some dude would run up the tops in Medina, grab some flowers and a card and some chocolates, throw it in the bed of my truck and hook me up. Yeah, that didn't happen either. Um, But I figured it out, and I'm here, and I'm safe, and I'm healthy. So uh, before I get myself into any more trouble, I'm going to go ahead and get started. And as Dr. Seuss says, the beginning is always a great place to start. So I I found a list of some of the most difficult things to do with life. It's an interesting list. Um, Let me share it with you. The first thing on the list is to apologize. Now... Apologies are funny, and and we've degenerated our apologies into sometimes being passive-aggressive. So if we're apologizing in ways that say, if I said something that offends you, then I'm sorry. Or if I did something that hurt your feelings, I don't know that that's really an apology. What you're doing is transferring responsibility from what you said or did to how they perceived it or their lack of understanding. So passive-aggressive apologies really aren't apologies. So I'll, I'll go through the next 16 to be unselfish, very difficult. To take advice, very difficult. To admit error, to tolerate ridicule, to think and then act, oh boy. See this is this is my puppy, her name is Aria. My son and I, my daughter got married and they bought a house up in Rochester and she had, her and her husband had stored some, some of her furniture and things at her house and my son and I, which is always dangerous, any statement that says our, my son and I were alone, you just don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, we're moving this furniture up to Rochester, and we slipped and fell, and we found ourselves in a pet adoption place in Rochester before we delivered the furniture. <laughs> so we got her. She was eight weeks old, and she was 12 pounds. Well, now she's not 12 pounds. It's <laughs> she, is, she is now about five months old, so... Um, <laughs> Three months later, she went from just 12-point fluffy ball of joy who just wanted to be warm to a dog who has no manners and has 52 pounds. And the good news is the vet tells us she's probably got another 50 pounds to go. So <laughs> think, then act. I can't drive that home. And you'd be amazed how thinking, then acting ties into forgiveness. And <laughs> so let's get moving. To be charitable. <laughs> To be considerate, to avoid mistakes, to endure success, to keep out of a rut, to be content, to subdue an unruly temper, to accept blame, to recognize the silver lining, to receive forgiveness and to forgive. Now for a few of us, for a couple of us, one or two of these items might have hit home. And then for other of us, several of these items might have hit home. No finger pointing, no name calling, I don't need any notes, no signals, we'll figure this out on our own. But it's very interesting, and there's probably several different message series in that list. But today we're just going to cover the ones that are related to forgiveness. And if you think about it, a lot of the hardest things to do in life, that list I just read, has to do with forgiveness. And the key thought of today's message... And I truly believe this in my heart, and I believe Jesus taught this continually, is knowing and practicing forgiveness is essential to our spiritual growth, and it's critical to maintaining healthy relationships. I'll say it one more time, that knowing and practicing forgiveness is essential to our spiritual growth and critical to maintaining healthy relationships. Now, before I get into usually discussing a specific word or idea, I I like to make sure we're all interpreting the information from the same place. Not only does defining a term put us all at the same same starting point, when we thoroughly define a word or concept, it assists us in understanding what the next next step might be. And for forgiveness, it's identifying what the what is. So, in defining it, psychologists call call it or define it as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group. The dictionary definition, to cease or feel resentment against, pardon one's enemies, to grant relief from payment. Now the English language doesn't, first of all the Bible wasn't written in English, surprise. Um, and sometimes the English language is a little too surface. It, um, it doesn't really have enough words, it doesn't have enough letters to get into what, what the original intent was. So, I like to get into some of the ancient languages um, and how the Bible was interpreted to where we see it today. So, the ancient Greek, there's two words for forgiveness. Uh, Cherizome is what you find most often in the New Testament. It's to give freely, to grant favor or grant a favor, and to be gracious. Apheme is used more frequently in the Old Testament. It's to let go, to leave, to abandon, to leave behind, to let, to permit. And and I don't think there's a slight difference between the ancient languages and the current um, interpretation of the word forgive. I think um, in the ancient languages, it's it's a lot deeper, it's a lot more meaningful, and it's not about you. It's it's about what's happening. And often I think you find that in in ancient Greek. So we're going to go ahead and let uh, Scripture define what forgiveness is even a little bit further. And we'll do it in English, because I don't know that I could read complete Scriptures in Greek. I'd fall right off the stage. So in Luke fifteen twenty one through 24, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and he has now returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. So the party began. Please allow me to give a little bit of um, background to this message. This particular father, he had two sons, two sons we know of. He was a wealthy landowner. Well, we pick up the story where the youngest son has come to a certain age and he decides, you know, it's my time. I don't want to wait till I'm old to get my inheritance. I want it now. So the father says, okay, decides to give him his inheritance. And the son does exactly what we would think he would do. He immediately squanders every penny, every nickel. He embarrasses, humiliates, and degrades himself to the point where he's finally living with pigs, eating what the pigs eat. The son decided to humble himself and return home. And that's where we picked up the scripture. And I'll read it again. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead. He has returned to life. He was lost, and now he's found. So the party began. Jesus is pointing out a few interesting things here. The first, when a wayward child realizes that they are wrong, says they are sorry, and asks forgiveness the father will immediately welcome that child home. See, that's the spiritual analogy of how God forgives. I'm sorry, I was wrong, forgive me. Jesus also demonstrates a relational forgiveness when he teaches this. You see, the son asked for forgiveness, the father forgave immediately. He forgave immediately and completely and it restored the relationship. There was no. The father had no reason to forgive him other than love. When God forgives, he cleans our slate. He forgets the wrong that was done. His actions towards us as if the wrong never occurred at all, like the sin had never happened. That's the completeness of the father's forgiveness. Now allow me to read this, just an incredible story of forgiveness to you. Just, just I'm going to read it word for word. Um, just hours after his six-year-old daughter was gunned down and The Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Robbie Parker bravely stood in front of cameras publicly to forgive the gunman that took his daughter and 26 other lives. With a trembling voice and a tear-stained face, he offered this statement on forgiveness. We'd like to offer our deepest condolences to all of the families who were directly affected by this shooting. It is a horrific tragedy, and we want everybody to know that our hearts and prayers go out to them. This includes the family of the shooter, and I can't imagine how hard this experience must be for you. And I want you to know that our family and our love and our support goes out to you as well. He continues, as we move on from what happened here, what happened to so many people, let it not turn us into something that defines us, but something that inspires us to be better to be more compassionate, to be a more humble people. Now the fact that Father could even speak at this point in his life is amazing to me. Just the, the absolute darkest hole. And that he was able to forgive is unfathomable. And what makes it fathomable to me is that Jesus Christ was able to forgive me and I've witnessed the miracles that Jesus has done in other people's life. Because without that, you can't forgive a tragedy or horrific experience like he experienced that day. Now, what he says at the end of his statement let us not turn it something that defines us, but something that inspires us to be better. That is nothing short of, prof- of profound. What he's saying is because evil was done, we don't have to become evil, we don't have to turn into what our circumstances have dictated. We can actually take the evil we've seen. We can take the evil we've witnessed and encourage ourselves to be better, encourage others around us to be better. He uses more compassionate and humble people. The empathy he shows is profound. And forgiveness is profound, and this is what forgiveness is. Let me share with you real quick some things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not just ignoring the folks who have wronged us. Forgiveness is not, let me restart that again. Forgiveness is more than not just seeking retribution. Forgiveness is not ignoring what happened. Forgiveness is not placing your antagonist into a timeout while you discuss the depravity of the offense with him and everybody else or her and everybody else that will listen. Only to forgive if a promise of not to commit the same offense in the future and after an acceptable time has passed. That's, an adjo- that's adjusted forgiveness, and that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about performance. Forgiveness is not about pretending. And forgiveness is not about control. You see, if you're withholding for forgiveness because you want to control someone's behavior or their emotions or the outcome of a relationship, that's no longer forgiveness. That's Manipulation. Forgiveness is not about placing yourself in danger. It's not about keeping yourself in danger. And there is a difference between forgiveness and trust. We've established what forgiveness is, but I just want to talk about what forgiveness does. Now, years ago, Tamar and I lived in Memphis, and we had the opportunity to, um, every now and then, go to hear uh, Pastor Adrian Rogers preach. He he pastored an enormous church. Um, in fact, it was the biggest church I've ever been in. And he even though he was a pastor of this huge church, several times a year, of all the messages you could preach, several times a year, he would talk about forgiveness, and he always kind of had the same theme. He talked about forgiveness releases two people, not just one from burden. It releases both the offended and the offender. You see, when you forgive somebody, you're giving something away. You're giving something up. If you owe me $1,000 and I forgive you of that debt, I'm out 1000 bucks. If you've hurt me and I don't seek any type of recompense for that, I'm out. So forgiveness, the essential aspect of forgiveness is is an act of grace. It's an act of mercy. It's the time to drop your rock. It's the time to forgive. So why do I need to be forgiven and why should I forgive others? The Apostle Paul responds to the question about why we need to be forgiven in Romans, chapter 3, verse 9. He said, Should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. You see, Paul is explaining, regardless of who you are, your social economic status, the job you have, your education, who your family is, that none of us meet the standard of God, that we all fall short of the glory. Humankind is separated from God because of original sin, and that occurred in the Garden of Eden, the apple, the serpent. And in addition to that, we all sin. We all sin on a weekly, monthly, and you know, some of the more pious of us won't admit it but in fact we do sin and we need to be forgiven you see we're reunited with the father through our belief in Jesus Christ and when we confess our sin it is forgiven because what Jesus Christ did on the cross if you have the internet or you have any type of social media you have a television or radio why we need forgiveness is often blatantly obvious The Father offers us that undeserved grace. And he offers us forgiveness through Christ. So after understanding why each of us requires forgiveness, let's get into why we should forgive others. Let's start with Jesus tells us to. That's always a good place to start anything, by the way. Because Jesus told me to. You're not getting a lot of arguments or pushback when you just say, Jesus told me to. But in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, But when you are praying... First give anyone you are holding a grudge against. First forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Next, we are to follow the example of Christ. So we we forgive because God tells us to. Number two, we forgive because it's the example Jesus sets during his ministry. And Jesus' ministry is the essence of forgiveness. In John eight seven, Jesus teaches a lesson to the Pharisees about judgment and forgiveness, and this is going to let you into uh, inside the twisted mind of Kevin. My favorite part of Scripture is when Jesus sticks his thumb in the eye of the Pharisees. I just I read it and I just I laugh or I smile to myself. They try and trip him up, they don't, and and he just so graciously says, "No, this is how it works, and, and you you should know better." But anyway, in John eight seven, Jesus teaches this lesson about judgment and forgiveness to the Pharisee when. He forgives the adulteress at the temple. They bring her to her. They interrupt what he's doing. And he ends it by saying, "Those of, anybody here who wants to judge, you can throw the first rock if you haven't sinned. Whoever has not ever sinned can throw the first rock. Now at the end of the conversation, Jesus is the only one holding a rock, and he chooses to drop the rock. He chooses not to judge. Jesus forgave Peter after Peter denied him three times between the events in the garden And prior to his crucifixion. And Jesus forgave with his last dying breath as he hung on the cross. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And I'm going to kind of park it right here for a moment. And this might get greasy for some of you. But um, the grace that's been extended to us is not supposed to stop at us. We are to continue to behave as, as Christ did so that people draw closer to him on their spiritual journey, on their faith walk. Now, too often, Christians aren't known for grace. We're not known for forgiveness, and we're not known for mercy. We are known for judgment and criticism. As Zach Zedner writes, if God is known for forgiveness, grace, and mercy, why is the church known for the exact opposite? New people don't come to our churches because they don't want to be around Christians because they're afraid of what's going to be said or thought about them. Now finally, we forgive because forgiveness and love can't be separated. In all of our relationships, whether it's at work, at home, extended family, friendships, forgiveness continually has to be granted and received. If we want those relationships to flourish, we have to continue to grant both grant and receive forgiveness. Now, we can't get too much farther into talking about forgiveness without talking about God's forgiving nature. And God's forgiving nature cannot be overstated. In John 3.16, a a very well-known verse, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son so that everyone believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And whenever I read or see or talk about John 3.16, I think of the dude in the rainbow wig at the end zone of the football game holding the John 3.16 sign. Now, that... Culturally has become kind of a joke or whatever. And but I also think about how many how many people, after watching fourteen or fifteen straight Sundays of football, or three or four seasons of football, or whatever time frame it is, finally couldn't stand it anymore, went to their Bible and picked it up and looked at what John 3.16 said. And that became became the beginning of their faith walk. Now I'm not interested in talking about John 3.16. After all, (laughs) I went all the way down that rabbit hole just to tell you I don't want to focus on it. I want to focus on John 3.17. John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Again, in verse 16, Jesus tells us that he is God's forgiveness. We can reunite with the Father through him, not the law. But in 17, Jesus goes on to say that he is, there, this is not a threat or it's not a threat of judgment, but an offer of peace and a promise of eternal love. So again, God's, the love of the Father, can't, it, can't be, it just can't be overstated. And when we talk about forgiveness, that's the place it comes from, our, the place of love. And I want to share with you a story of unintended consequences. And it was, it was caused by withholding forgiveness. And I unfortunately suspect it's way more common now than when I experience it. You see, um, my parents uh, were divorced when I was very young. It was 1970. I was about two. And I can look around. I see some of you doing the math. I'm, I, I know I look young. I'm not, I'm not as old as I, But anyway. <laughs> um, usually when relationships come to an end, it's 50-50 or it's similar, something similar to that in the, the blame responsibility department. However, in my parents' relationship, that was not the case. Um, my mother decided she had to take us kids and move on. You see, now in those days, divorce didn't happen to families that were in the PTA and scouting and Little League Baseball and in various civic organizations. But for some very real and serious reasons, that marriage had to end. But this is where it gets weird. See, my mother didn't harbor the resentment or withhold forgiveness. She actually went to my father and shortly after the divorce, and she forgave him, and she told him she forgave him. She told him several times after that also. It was my father that could not forgive her. You see, the divorce embarrassed him. He couldn't get over what he perceived as humiliation, the humiliation that she made him endure. So he grew resentful, and he grew bitter. Finally, it degenerated into being hurtful. He couldn't hurt my mom. So he took his resentment out on the children. That was the only way he could hurt my mother was to mistreat us. You see, that's one of the things that can happen when you hold forgiveness. It degenerates into bitterness, resentfulness, anger. And you end up injuring unintended targets. You tragically destroy relationships. Now... Pastor Andy's our next gen guy, and he's our sound and tech guy out in Medina. And, and to put a label on Andy's kind of crazy because he does everything. He's our Swiss Army knife for one church. But anyway, he and I were talking about this message, and he he had this just this great analogy, this great word picture that he shared with me. He said, "There's an event in our life, and it's a ball. It's like a tennis ball or a, just a steam ball, whatever. And you have a decision what you're going to do with that ball. And if this case, if it's relevant to forgiveness, whether you're going to forgive or not forgive." And then you take that ball and if you choose not to put it down like Jesus chose to put down his rocket judgment, you end up dipping in different paints, different color paints. And the color of those paints are named bitterness, resentfulness, and anger. And every time that consequence or that event reoccurs, you keep dipping that ball and finally you throw that ball. You you throw it at a target. And whether you hit that target or not with your anger and your frustration and everything that goes with it, all that paint splatters all over the place and and gets everybody, covers everybody with those ugly emotions. I thought that was the perfect analogy, the perfect word picture for what the lack of forgiveness does in our lives. Now we've navigated through the what and the why of forgiveness. Let's unpack what Jesus tells us about how to forgive. Now he teaches us how to forgive on four levels or in four different ways, four methods. We're taught about how, I'm sorry, giving forgiveness. Asking forgiveness, accepting forgiveness, and forgiving yourself. If I remember from way back in the message, the list of the hardest things to do in life, I believe all of them are on there. I believe all four of these issues that Jesus talks about, teaches us about how to forgive, are part of that list of the hardest things to do in life. So we'll start with giving forgiveness. Giving forgiveness can be a challenge. Again, The human race is willing to say and do the most horrific things to one another. Without provocation, without purpose, we're willing to be ugly before we're willing to be pretty to one another. So when we're in the process of forgiving, Jesus teaches and I encourage and suggest that you start in prayer. And again, remember you're releasing a burden from yourself when you forgive. Your forgiveness isn't being done because it's necessarily... Anything other than an act of obedience, and that obedience is to demonstrate the love of Christ to a fallen culture. Because if people who don't know Christ see us forgiving on a regular regular, it's just gonna draw them closer. They see the lack of they see the lack of judgment. So it's being done out of obedience, is done to demonstrate love to Jesus of Jesus Christ to a fallen culture. And remember that forgiveness will remove all obstacles that remain there forever. Forgiveness will remove all obstacles that remain there otherwise, and they'll remain there forever. So, we'll talk about the person who doesn't immediately step forward. They do something, they say something, they act in a certain way. doesn't appear they're going to come forward. You give them a few minutes, you give them a few days, whatever you feel is adequate. It's okay to take the first step and let that person know what they did and how it made you feel. Matthew 18, verse 15 from the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever preached, Jesus tells us, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. You see, we're, we're back to that, that ball dipped in paint. If you wait for them in forever to take that first step, you're given the, oppresen- the opportunity for resentment to take hold. One last suggestion about giving forgiveness Try not to keep count. You see, Peter asked Jesus how many times we should forgive. And Peter kind of had an answer walking into this conversation with Jesus. Jesus, Peter thought the answer was seven. And, and how Peter arrived at that answer was, in Judaism, you forgive someone three times. So Peter's like, well, I'm not Jewish anymore. I'm a follower of Christ, so I'll double that. So it's six, and then I'll add one because I'm Peter. So... Uh, <laughs> So when he asked Jesus, how many times should you forgive? Seven? And Jesus responded with no, 70 times seven. Now, if you get into Christian numerology and what certain numbers mean in the faith, and and 70 times seven is an infinite number. Ad infinitum, Googleplex, infinity, whatever mathematical term you want to use, essentially saying that forgiveness should see no limitations, that there is no limit on forgiveness. Jesus's point is it's a spiritual issue, it's not a math problem. There's not enough ink in your pen if you want to keep track of forgiveness. And finally, make sure that you're forgiving in the way that you would like God to forgive you. In Matthew 6.12, this is actually right from the Lord's Prayer when Jesus Christ teaches the disciples how to pray. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin sin against us. So if you're going to forgive with caveats, limits, and exceptions, that's how God's going to forgive you, right? I'll read it again. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. So you go to God in prayer at the end of the day. God, forgive me. I did this, that, and the other. God's like, sure. I'm never talking to you again. Because when Jim apologized you, you said, well, that's cool. You guys are done. We're not, I'm never talking to you again. So forgive is you want to be forgiven. It's dangerous to forgive with caveats, limits, and exceptions. When we ask forgiveness... We're going back into Matthew, Matthew five, twenty-three, twenty-five. 25, more red letters. Jesus is back doing the forgiving thing. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. See, the Jews would present a sacrifice at the temple in order to get right with God. So, as Christians, we, we don't offer sacrifices anymore, and I, I know we're in a rural farming community. Please keep the goats and sheep, the pigeons at home. We don't need them at the altar. We don't do that in Christianity, right? Thank goodness. Um, we get right with God through fasting, through prayer. We get right with God through our devotional time. We get right with God when we're in our growth groups and we We're with friends and we say, hey, look, this is what's happening in my my life this week. And what Jesus is telling us to do is before we're trying to get right with God, get right with the people we've sinned against. Because our spiritual rejuvenation is vertical first, but it's also side to side. It's the impact we give. Now here comes these words again. It takes humility and modesty to admit you're wrong and ask forgiveness. And that's the difficult thing with forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't what we call the, the, a primary or a starting block of an, of an emotion or an act. You have to have two or three other things. to it's, it's like a cake. It's not the flour or the sugar. It's the final product. Forgiveness is the final product of humility, lack of judgment, grace, and mercy. So to forgive is advanced. Accepting forgiveness, that made the list too in the beginning of the message. We have a difficult time accepting forgiveness because of several reasons. One, we don't believe we deserve forgiveness, and we'll talk about that in a second. We believe that we owe the party that we offended some type of penance or recompense. Now, the word penance doesn't occur in the Bible or appear in the Bible anywhere, so um, that's how we feel about that. When someone asks you forgiveness or when you're given forgiveness and you accept it. Now, here's the final problem, and this is the lack of grace and humility. We don't believe that we did anything wrong, so we're not going to accept the fact that you're forgiving us. And often humanity sits in that place of arrogance. There's also a responsibility or an expectation when accepting forgiveness. And Jesus talks about that, again, from the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 18, 25, 28. He couldn't pay So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay his debt. He was into the king for a lot of money. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who he owed just a few thousand dollars to. Not a lot of money compared to what he owed the king. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. You see, and as the story goes on, things didn't end well for the servant who was forgiven and refused to forgive. Things went down a real negative downward spiral for him and his family. And just like in this verse, it's expected that you give the same grace and mercy that you've received. An unforgiving person is unforgivable. An unforgiving person is unforgivable. Now, often forgiving yourself can be harder than forgiving others. And it's paramount to remember that you've already been forgiven by God. And that God is bigger than your sin. Guilt comes from the sorrow of sinning, conviction. You confess your sin, you ask forgiveness, you repent, you're forgiven. Shame is not from God. Shame is the evil one telling you that your sin is too big for God to forgive. You're too dirty, dirty for your slate to be wiped clean. And you should be ashamed. And that's how the evil one works. Way back in the Garden of Eden we talked about earlier. He didn't do anything crazy. Satan didn't, wasn't demonstrative at all. He whispered a couple of statements into the ear. Will you really die? And there was the fall of humankind. And we whispers into our ear, you can't be forgiven. Your sin is too big and God clearly isn't big enough. That's a lie. The writer of Hebrews tells us that our sins are forgiven and forgotten. The sacrifices of shame, remorse, and sorrow need not to be made any longer. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. As when sins have been forgiven, there is no need for any more sacrifices. Forgive yourself God does now based on all the red letters and again the words that these red letters make up Jesus had a lot to say about forgiveness he had a lot to say about forgiveness and our relationship with the father he had a lot to say about forgiveness and our willingness to share the love of Christ with others now here's a quick survey some questions to work through and there's no need to raise your hands or or take notes or point to your neighbor But just put some thought in them and possibly figure out where you are with the act of forgiveness. I find joy when somebody who hurt me is in pain. I purposely stay away from that person. I intensely and consistently remember the wrong that was committed against me. I would have trouble praying for that person. I would not or could not assist that person if they needed my help. You see, at some point in all of our lives, we've answered yes to one or more of those questions. But if you're there right now where those questions are kind of like, oh boy, let me just encourage you to go to prayer and seek the face of Christ. Find that place of forgiveness you'll be releasing the burden from yourself and you'll be showing the, the grace of Christ to a fallen world. Now forgiveness, in demon, forgiveness is shown and demonstrated in many ways. It can come in different forms and sometimes it can be done unconsciously. A couple weeks ago I received an email from a friend of mine. He was both a college friend and an army buddy and we've sporadically um, kept in touch over the years and But things happen, life happens, he moved around, I moved around, you know, families, children. Well, this cat knows the old Kevin. He has seen and heard me at my absolute worst. His email explained that he was doing some research for a church project that he was working on and discovered that I was in the ministry and serving at one church. He asked if there was a registration process because he and his wife would like to attend service that was it no questions no judgment no request for a valid- validated testimony of salvation he didn't need to verify my call to ministry just acceptance he didn't have a rocket judgment he had no jokes no remember ones or I, remember whens or I can't believe just forgiveness now the grace that he, that he gave was so uplifting and encouraging to me. And it's it's it, it is difficult for me to explain. See, I often pray, my prayer is often that I don't get in the way. And I know that 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 prayer maybe holds some conceit because how can I get in the way of God and, and God's kingdom? But I do. I, I, I'm, I wonder how my past conduct and my past behavior will affect my witness, and I pray that it never affects someone entering the kingdom of God. You see, that email reminded me that I'm forgiven. He forgave me and that God forgives me. We've walked through what the red letters of Jesus have to say. Now, my challenge to you is put the rock down. Stop judging. Stop withholding grace. Stop withholding grace and mercy in your life. And regardless of what that looks like, start moving towards forgiveness. Knowing and practicing forgiveness is essential to your spiritual growth and to maintaining healthy relationships. So please, forgive freely, forgive immediately, forgive abundantly, and forgive finally. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We love that our relationship with you starts with forgiveness, your forgiveness of us, that it models and teaches us what forgiveness is and how we should forgive others, Lord. Lord, you remind us continually through prayer and through other people and believers that we are, in fact, forgiven. Lord, I pray that we continually extend that grace and mercy of forgiveness to those around us, Lord. Lord, we love you. We trust you and we believe everything you say. And thank you for your precious word. And it's in Jesus' most precious name we pray.